0: I mean, just just something to really think about is that do we really need Chat GPT to replace everything we do, or or what's what's wrong with a world where Chat GPT or you know AI like that acts as assistance to just help us do better, do things faster, do things more efficiently, do things more consistently.
1: The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Produced by Soapbox Media. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. In this episode, I want to let you know about a new advance in artificial intelligence. You may have heard about it. It's called ChatGPT and it's currently free to access from OpenAI. Uh, ChatGPT is a variant of GPT-3, Generative Pre-trained Transformer 3 that is specifically designed to be used in chat applications. It is a large language model that's been trained on a huge amount of text data in order to generate human-like responses to various types of inputs. Some key features of ChatGPT include its ability to generate responses in a conversational style, understand context, and continue a conversation based on previous exchanges. I've played with it a little bit, and I've been following the buzz on the internet. This seems to be a spectacular general artificial intelligence. To help me understand exactly what this means, I've called on one of my previous guests, Professor Alexander Wong of the University of Waterloo. Uh, As you may recall, Professor Wong is currently the Canada Research Chair in Artificial Intelligence and Medical Imaging, a member of the College of the Royal Society of Canada, Director of the Vision and Image Processing Research Group, and a Professor in the Department of Systems Design Engineering at the University of Waterloo. Professor Wang, welcome to The Rational View. Thank thank you for the opportunity to talk to you again. Thanks for coming back and joining us. Uh, It was great to talk to you before, and I'm looking forward to to learning a little bit more about what this chat GBT thing means to the field. So as, as a leader in the world of artificial intelligence, what are your thoughts about chat gpt so
0: i have many thoughts so uh, especially because uh, every 5 minutes i would get a text message or you know some kind of instant message asking people what do i think about uh, chat gpt so i have a number of different thoughts around it both on the technology side as well as i guess uh, i guess the hype around uh, chat gpt so from a technological perspective it's actually a, a, for me it's it's an incredible machine learning engineering milestone. So what do I mean by this? Is that the fact that they're able to have such a large model, this vast amount of data and coordinate in a way that allows it to learn in a very, for me, uh, in a very special manner is actually something that we could all learn quite a lot from, from a technical perspective. So for me, what's amazing is their ability to essentially combine different approaches and facets of machine learning uh, to actually train such a large model. So they first use, you know, supervised learning to train on information, you know, and it gets some, uh, you know, fine tuning GPT 3.5, you know, up to a certain point, right? So it's good, but not, not great. But the cool, for me, the cool breakthrough is once they've done this pre-training, what they did was they actually asked chat GPT to actually, you know, you know, produce conversations. And then what a person then does is they look at those conversations and they rank them. So is this, is this a great conversation? Is this not something that I prefer? And then with this ranking, they're able to actually learn a really cool reward model. And using that, then they use reinforcement learning to then train the system uh, in this unsupervised manner to really, really excel at you know receiving these rewards and having conversations that really uh, allow them to, uh, you know, reflect what a labeler or what a person likes. And I think that's the big thing because it starts learning from human preferences. And so that's why, uh, you know, it it starts, it feels very natural compared to a lot of other conversational large language models that you see. So for me, that's one of the biggest parts.
1: Let's back up a little bit for for people who don't understand what a language model is or, or what, uh, makes up the, how does this thing work? So this is basically a, a neural network simulation. This is simulating a, a a network of neurons, like a brain using software. Is that correct? That that's correct. So it
0: just treats us as a very large, uh, I guess, uh, simulation of, what a brain, obviously it's not exact from a biologically uh, plausibility perspective, but it kind of acts like a very large brain. And so with this very large brain and this huge amounts of data with supervised learning, what do they do is, okay, this is the data. This is a you know what the conversation should look like. If I were to say A, this is B that you should reply. So that's like the very first part. Then what they did was they take that and ask it just, Just tell me how you would actually converse. And so then this neural network starts conversing and then a person then looks at it like a human-machine collaboration and say, okay, this is good, this is not so good, this is better than that. And then they go back and tell this large brain to then, okay, this is the response and now let's start having conversations. And if you do it in a way that a human prefers, you get rewarded. If you do it in a way that the person doesn't prefer, then you don't get
1: rewarded. These rewards are are updating the the software model effectively. They're they're changing the strengths of the connections between the neurons, just like how we believe that people learn things by strengthening neuronal connections in the brain. Okay, and so there's this feedback is human modulated basically. People uh, talk to it as though you're training a child effectively that's exactly it and so for me that's it's like when you talk
0: to a child and you know when a child's talking to you and based on your reaction right they they think oh great like i'm doing a good job i'm i'm speaking in the right way uh my you know my parent is quite happy about it so that's my reward and so based on these cues it starts improving its brain so that it starts talking in a way that is preferred by the human trainers Wow.
1: So this seems to be a, a general AI that they've they've built here, like the holy grail of artificial intelligence that people, many people have said, you can't make a general AI. All you can have is narrow AIs uh, that are designed to do one task. This seems to be a general AI with a huge amount of knowledge at its disposal. It's been trained on uh, a, a vast... Uh, amount of text that people have scraped together from the internet. I guess I'm not exactly sure where the the data comes from that it originally was trained on, but it seems to be able to understand complex questions and maintain a coherent thought process through an ongoing conversation. Is, is this groundbreaking? is is it, or is this incremental? so I, I would say it, it there's
0: it's a kind of a yes and no kind of thing. And I think for me, that's the Non-technical side—that's become from a technical perspective—it's it, a great milestone. It's a great machine learning AI engineering milestone to be able to put all these pieces together and come up with something that produces results like this. Is it's it's really fantastic. That said, uh, I think it'd be a big stretch to call it general artificial intelligence for a number of different reasons. One of which is that it has ha- it, it has access to all this information. And it memorizes all this information. It tries to put, you know, A and B together, but it's still not close to the point where it really understand context. So it's, it's like treated as, you know, you know, somebody who just has, let's say somebody who has never been, uh, learned anything before, hasn't been educated, so on and so forth. And you say, here's Wikipedia, here's the internet, right? and it just reads through, it reads through lots of material and it tries to piece things together, but it really doesn't understand deep context. And the other key thing that's actually very crucial and that actually the researchers who build that have actually acknowledged is that it doesn't know what is true. And that's a really, really big issue. And it really limits it from what you would call as general artificial intelligence. It has, it has no sense of truth. So it has no sense of right and wrong. It has no sense of moral values and so on and so forth. Its its underlying premise is essentially to please whoever they're talking to. And so that's why I would say there's a lot of hype, but not created by the you know, open AI researchers. They're very transparent about everything. It's that people haven't actually read through it and they play with it and they, wow, like this, Sounds very natural, right? So I think that's I think that's one of the big things I think is uh, really valuable about Chat GPT is that it is actually one of the first for me AI that that has really allowed for plausible conversation. It just feels like you're talking to somebody.
1: Yeah, it does. It, it's and the fact that it can remember context in a conversation is very different from. Uh, previous systems. I don't know exactly how it does it. I think s- someone was saying that it basically um, takes as input your entire uh, string of conversations each time you put a new conversation in there. So it's you know it's not keeping a memory per se, but it's just re-entering the entire conversation each time you put a new query to it. So it's it's just a it gets bogged down as you go further. Th- in any particular conversation.
0: And I think that's that's actually another big milestone is the fact that it's, I, w- I wouldn't like to use like the word memory, but it's able to keep a continuous dialogue. I think it's a really big deal. Like you said before, right, right now, in, in some of the old AI, like, it might give you a great answer now, and then you do something else and it just gives you something completely unrelated to what you've just chatted right now. Whereas ChatGPT is able to essentially, like persistence, is one of the things I think that's actually a really big technical milestone. Yeah,
1: yeah. Now you mentioned truth, that this has no understanding of truth, but I mean, I think that's common to all of us as well. Uh, We have to figure out what's true uh, on our own to some extent, or or, like when you say it has no concept of truth, I'm sure it can look at um, data, gather data, you can tell it to take an evidence-based approach and, and, and weigh evidence. Um, what do you mean by it doesn't have a concept of truth? Can you expand on that? Yes. So, so the problem is that you know, like weighing
0: evidence, something, it, it doesn't actually do that. I think that's one of the key things. It doesn't really understand the actual context. So what it does is that it'll, it'll essentially try to tell you what you want to hear. I think for me, that's a big issue with it from a general usage perspective, essentially whatever you want it to say, it will say it. And it'll say it in a very plausible and confident way, even though, even if it's absolutely wrong and it will never ask you for context. It will just guess your intent and produce a result for you. And so that's where there's this huge gap. So I'll I'll give you uh, an example, right? Uh, uh, One example is like if you ask it, you know, if I had a uh, orchestra, of uh, let's say 30 people and ask it to play a concerto, it takes like, you know, 30 minutes, right? Now suppose that orchestra with 60 people, how long is it going to take to play that concerto? It doesn't really understand what a concerto is. It doesn't have the context of music. It doesn't really have the background understanding. And so what it starts telling you, if you try this, it was like, oh, yeah. So, you know, because we have 30 people, they played a concerto for, let's say, uh, 60 minutes. Now that I have twice the number of people, it's going to take me half the time. And it says it in a very convincing way. And it sounds very logical, but we all know that it is completely incorrect. And another example is there's a, there's one, I think one researcher actually in uh, during the interview said that uh, she tried to use chat GPT to ask, a, to, you know, produce a bio for her. And so it gives, you know, some, you know, some of the things it might have learned from Wikipedia and so on and so forth. And then it said, you know, uh, she died in 2022. Oops. So we know that's definitely <laughs> not true because she asked it. And so it's things like that, that uh really helped like question like its true understanding of what it really wants to say and it's already causing a lot of issues right now so uh one example it's like i'm not sure if you know you know this but like stack overflow bans chatgpt because it keeps giving the wrong answer so for a context uh stack overflow is a site where you ask questions about coding and so on and so forth it keeps producing the wrong answers so therefore they ban it and in the recent stanford study what they found was that using this kind of model without proper understanding context actually leads to poor quality code so there's all these inherent issues and it's not a problem with like how it was created right the researchers again very much acknowledge this is the limitation here's what it's designed for but people are using for purposes that under the assumption that it has much deeper understanding and much deeper understanding of what
1: truth is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just as, as some, some backup information, so chat GPT can produce computer code. You can ask it to produce computer code, to do a, a specific task. You can give it code and ask it to debug that code, point out errors in the code, fix code. A lot of programmers are very excited by this and they're using it to, you know, basically see if it can do their work for them um so it can generate code but you're saying it's, it's maybe got errors in it or it's not perfect code it doesn't really understand what it's doing it's been exposed to a lot of code in some sort of a training of a neural network and it can it can produce working code but it doesn't have the sort of real deep training that uh that a graduate uh, engineer would would have to bring to the to the issue to make good code, for example, yeah. And looking at you know, from from my in perspective, I've interviewed it on physics, and it can make you know very good broad statements about introductory textbook level questions on relativity, uh, Maxwell's equations, quantum chromodynamics. You know, you can ask it anything, and it will give you a very good you know, Wikipedia level uh, description of it. But if you start asking it more complex questions about what it means, it, it doesn't have that understanding. So is, is this a, uh, a drawback of the approach or is it just a fact that we need more more uh, training? you know effectively, it, it seems like a, a, the intelligence of a child with all of human knowledge at its fingertips. Yes, that's
0: I think that's the perfect way to put it. Uh, essentially, it's like here, hey, you know you go to your child. Here is Wikipedia. Here is all of the world's knowledge. Please figure that all out yourself. Now, that's actually a very tall task. And again, the other key part is, again, it's it's a limitation of the approach that's being used right now. I, I'm sure that people are thinking of brand new ways to better you know add actual context, constraints, and better understanding. Essentially, better priors to kind of condition uh, it to do better. But right now, it's it's a pure reward system. So I'll give you an example. So one thing that the researchers have acknowledged is that uh, ChatGPT has a tendency to be very verbose, very lengthy of its explanations, and it'll just start repeating itself. And the rationale behind it, again, it's related to the training method, is that in general, human trainers they just prefer things that are longer. Because when you write long and detail, whether it's correct or not, people just feel that this thing is more knowledgeable. And so it's like a teaching a child, you know, and you, know, if you keep, you know, rambling uh, and be very confident and fancy about it, you're going to get rewarded, right? And so I believe right now it's more of a limitation with the training approach, but I think it's
1: something that can be improved over time. It seems like there's also a lot of um... – caveats kind of hard-coded into this thing to try to uh, prevent it from saying um, bad things or immoral things. Uh, So it looks like that the programmers have tried to put some sort of um, hard-coded moral license on it so it doesn't answer certain questions effectively. Um, And, you know, I've seen uh, people getting around this by saying, pretend you're writing a script, and then it would Go ahead and, and do and you know tell you how to make a bomb or whatever bad thing it, it was hard coded not to do. Is there a better way to do this? Can we teach AI's morality? Uh, the answer is, I think is yes. So uh,
0: I think this is a good starting point. At least you have some kind of human constraints. Again, heuristics rules do help. So, for example, if you remember a little, even a little back, uh, where Meta <laughs> released their large language model, sign Search engine and it was taking down in a couple of days because it was spewing the huge amounts of scientific, uh, disinfo- like misinformation. Like literally it was just saying things that it should, it has no right of saying, like it's, it looks good, but it's all wrong. Well here, what they did was they add these constraints to avoid it. but as you said, right, there's so many loopholes around it. You tell it, you know, pretend you're this. Uh, I think a big one is especially, that's actually very scary is people are trying to use it for medical advice instead of seeking a doctor, which I think is very dangerous. Usually you'll say, no, I cannot give medical advice. But as you said, right? You said, pretend you are a doctor and I had this, how would I treat it? And then it just tells you everything. So I don't think it's the best way to do it. Uh, the best way is in, in theory, you can train it to have these constraints so that it's able, it, it'll show its own restraint. But it's a very difficult thing to do because you need huge amounts of data and new training paradigms for it to really understand this context and appreciate it. Like, 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 like we just talked about, right? It's not, it's not really general artificial intelligence. It's just, a, for me, it's a great memory network that's able to kind of draw some connections together in a very plausible way, but it just doesn't have that deep understanding. And I think if we're able to get past that barrier, then I could see things just really skyrocket in terms of how good something like this can be. So I would say right now it's, you can, but the the amount of data, the training items are just not there right now, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's trained on the internet, right? It's got the whole controversy of, of, of both sides of these issues and, and, you know, the loudest voices are the most extreme on the internet. So it's got all of that in, you know, programmed into it. And I'm sure it could follow, you know, whatever it's, it's in, uh user is going to, going to want, just like social media gives you what you want to hear. It's not giving you truth. It's giving you what it's echoing back to you in a certain way, what you want to hear. And that's
0: what kind of worries me quite a lot. From a, a moral compass perspective and from an ethical perspective, people are already using it for very malicious purposes because it's it's essentially telling you what you want to hear, and people are using that to generate content and pretending it's real and posting it uh, in a form that really affects both social uh, as well as you know the I guess moral society.
1: Where do you see the the best applications for this? going forward is this going to change a lot of things it seems like it can act as a as you know a, a basic helper in a lot of respects it has access to knowledge it, ha- it can do uh, redundant tasks like you can send it a transcript and it can summarize the transcript for you i'm sure students are going to be asking it to write it write their essays for it in schools uh you know where where does this go what, what what's what's the what is this used? useful for. Sure. So uh,
0: I'll tell you like in my opinion where I think people can really benefit from it. There's a lot of uses that I think are not great, but I think for me I'm a big fan of human machine collaboration using as a collaborative tool where things are kept in check by a person and it's used to essentially like it's to distill information or to aid in producing better content. By working with a person. So for example, I could, I could see it, you know, uh, do a lot of things uh, in terms of, you know, like, like creating presentations, right? So you don't just tell, Hey, chat GBT, please create me a presentation on this, right? Things are just going to go wrong. Right. But if you say, okay, great. Uh, I've r- written this, you know, I, I think I'm a bit, you know, uh, my, my words aren't the best way of explaining. Uh, can you help me explain it better? Can you help me be more concise? Uh, can you help me, for example, uh, you know, come up with a good title based on my content? I think these are very, I guess, complementary and productive ways of using it where the person has the option to actually look into it and say, okay, uh, okay, great. Uh, I think that's a good suggestion. I'm going to employ it or, wow, th- wow, this is terrible. I'm not going to include it. So I think that's where things get most productive. It could be very helpful in writing as well right? Like technical writing and so and so forth, where it's giving suggestions. It'd say, oh, yeah, please summarize this in a table for me. So I could see a lot of ways that it could help with productivity. I think the most important part is the human loop aspect. I think that's actually generally very important. So using ChatGPT to help a person do better is, I think, where we
1: see the most benefit. Indeed. I, I asked Chat GPT how it's responses were different from what humans might say. And it told me that it's not aware of its own existence. It doesn't have a sense of self. It says it's not capable of learning or adapting to new situations. It's not capable of independent thought or creativity. It can only generate responses based on the input it receives and does not have the ability to come up with new ideas or concepts on its own. I kind of, I kind of disagree with the independent thought and creativity aspects. Like it's very creative. You can ask it to write poems, you can ask it to write stories, and it comes up with independent, what appears to be independent thought. And it, it's doing it the same way as we understand how our brains do these things. You know, we have these neural networks, we have a but you know, we have a task and we, we we put them together and out comes a story. It's doing the same thing, isn't it? Well, I I wouldn't quite say it's doing the same thing.
0: So there's quite a few things. First of all, depends on what you define by independent thought. So one of the key things is that under all circumstances with ChatGPT, you need to initiate. That's the key thing. So you need to seed it with something, right? So whether that's independent thought, it depends on your definition. So for example, if I didn't talk to you, right, and you're just sitting there, Right. You might say, oh, I'm I'm just going to write a poem about, you know, dogs and cats, or I'm just going to go read the news and I'm going to try to summarize that news. It's not initiated by me. It's not initiated by another person. No thought has been seeded into you. It just came out of your mind. So for me, that's a big difference compared to ChatGPT. You need to seed it for it to be able to produce content so that's one aspect the other aspect is that it's it always again i keep mentioning the word memorization and and even in the response that you got it's kind of like a memorization it doesn't produce anything new it just takes what's all around that it's read and tries to piece it together so now whether or not you consider that as independent thought that's up to interpretation but if you were to take from a pure technical perspective, it's taking different pieces of the puzzle or taking different building blocks and combining in a you know, coherent sense. So that might not meet a lot of the definitions of independent thought. Th- that said, doesn't mean it has no utility. And so that's where I think the whole human machine collaboration really comes in the hand because a person can seed it and then get good information back to incorporate
1: as kind of like a, like a, Synergistic model. Yeah, it doesn't seem to have a any. So it doesn't have memory. I think that's maybe the the thing that makes it a little bit obviously different from from a human. It has no memory per se, and no kind of current state space in its in its thinking. Like it doesn't store thoughts. I mean, I I could see um, future uh, iterations where. Was self seeding. I mean, it's not difficult to take take it and let it run with it with its own "quote unquote" thoughts, and to posit that this what it's doing is not independent thinking is is assuming that we do something different in our minds. I think, Uh, or or you know, it's easy to say that it's different when you don't really understand what we're doing in our minds. This is the closest approximation of as we can program as to what our, our brains do. And obviously our brains have specialized neurons that do specific tasks, whereas this is kind of a generic neural network and they're all kind of the same neurons to start. And then, it, you know, it's trained as a, as a big mess of neurons. Like how how much resources does a system like this require to run? Is, is, it, is this like a supercomputer needed to make this thing work every day or how, how is this, how is this operating?
0: Yeah, very good question. So uh, just based on, again, the details are a little limited in terms of what they actually provide. But for example, even if I'm talking about training, just seeing what they have, uh, pretty much we're talking about huge amounts of computing resources to get this to even train at all. Like we're talking about like months of training on very, very expensive clusters. Uh, and that's because it, the ability to actually parse through all this information and do all these reinforcement learning runs typically take a very, very large one. So uh, fundamentally what, what I can say is that very few places in the world is capable of even training something like this. Even if they have the exact same data and the exact same model to be able to take this and learn from it, uh, I would say a handful of people have the resources to do it now. To have it run, obviously, would not take as much resources. But from a scale perspective, it's still orders and orders and orders of magnitude uh, more resources necessary to do each inference. And so, if you think about how everyone's now having a lot of fun hammering, uh, you know, ChatGPT for answers, uh, we're talking about a huge amount of resources
1: being spent on this. That's very interesting. So could you compare it to the complexity of the human brain? How like, how many neurons, what order of, of magnitude is it between this and a human brain, for example? Do you have that idea? So I, I'm trying to remember exactly, but
0: uh, the human brain still has orders of magnitude more neurons and synapses than this. I, I'm kind of approximately because the way it's designed is different. It's uh, in general transformers aren't really that reflective of human brain. But if I were to do kind of an analogy, the human brain is actually quite a lot more complex, and I would say orders upon orders of orders of magnitude more efficient in both learning as well as being
1: able to make inferences. Hmm. Yeah. Agreed. But it seems like we're getting there. Like this. This is is scarily good. Oh, most most definitely. But I think for me, it's always, this is
0: very great and promising. And for me, like, I'm super excited about it, but we're pretty much heading in the era where because it sounds so convincing, one, people are going to use it for very, very bad purposes, which I hope they don't. Two is that people are now so trusting of what is said by this that they don't fact check anymore. And for me, that's a very big problem. I a mean, good example, like right now, what are people using it for that are, are not great? People are using it to generate false news stories, fake news stories, completely fake news stories, right? People are using it to uh, write, you know, phishing emails, right? That are way better than what a general, uh, I guess, fisher actually does. Uh, they're using it to uh, try to answer questions that. It has no right or clue in answering, right? So for me, those are the key things that become, like imagine you have somebody who doesn't really have true understanding of something, but they'll tell you whatever you want to hear. That's a big danger right now. And I think that's something that people really need to grasp.
1: Yeah, it is like a a black, a bit like a black mirror episode is an artificial intelligent child with all of human knowledge at its fingertips available to answer questions to anybody who talks to it and wanting to please them we 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 have a typical AI we have typical sci-fi horror movie right there what 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 should we do <laughs> this is the first probably of, of many and, and as people learn how this is done this is going to this is going to expand and other groups are going to try this what should we do to prevent? Damage And obviously, you've, you've highlighted some of the, the potentially dangerous things that can happen. What should How do we defend against this?
0: So for me, checks and balances, both from the creators as well as regulators, is actually, for me, quite important. So as we had in our previous conversation, I'm not a very big fan of transparency as well as responsible artificial intelligence. So using things in a responsive way. So just because something can do something doesn't necessarily mean it should. Uh, and really underst- have a deeper understanding of what it can do and what it can't do becomes very important. And in certain situations where it could be very dangerous is to really, even as, as, as a company, for example, right? To really think about these, uh, I guess, guiding policies like principles of responsible AI within the company to make sure that things are used in a responsible way. So there's, if it's certain things that can be very dangerous, like a good example is uh, what they try to attempt here, right? It, they try to prevent from giving medical advice, right? At least it's a good attempt. So it's guiding it based on a certain moral compass, right? It also tries to avoid certain radicalized speech to a certain extent. You could still get to say extremely racist, sexist things, which is not great, but additional guidelines and safeguards built into the system, I think, becomes very important, uh, especially when you have something this powerful into the wild. Imagine that now you have a system that can spew disinformation 24 7 within microseconds, right? Saying anything you wanna hear, right? Whether it's factual or not, that's extremely dangerous. Putting proper safeguards on it so that it limits what you can do with it, especially for the general public,
1: I think becomes very important. But who's who's going to do that? That takes extra time and, and doesn't necessarily lead to uh, revenue if you're a commercial company trying to do this. Is there a, a body that should be that that should be looking at this or is this just the Wild West? So
0: a couple of things. So right now there are regulatory bodies who are starting to explore ways to help better regulate artificial intelligence. I think it's actually a good direction, right? Of course, there's all ways needs to be a balance between regulation and, and ability to innovate, but finding that middle ground is actually gonna be pretty key. Uh, the second thing is that uh, I think a lot of companies are starting to be a lot more cautious about the impact of their AI on society, uh, because like you said, it's not gonna make them revenue. But if they don't do it right, the biggest fear is bad AI in the wild. And once you leave that bad impression, like AI gone wrong, then it will actually impact their revenue in the long run. So now a lot of companies are being a lot more cautious because they don't want to create controversy, right? So for example, there's a good example was the uh, the meta one, right, They they took down the entire system within days. Why? Because it was getting huge amounts of bad press. That press is not good for any company affects revenue flow so even if they're not using their moral compass they have financial incentives to make sure that their AI doesn't go wild
1: so obviously you've had a chance to play with this you you've you've tried it how did is there anything that that strikes you as as amazing or did, what what was your uh, what would you say is the the most impre- thing that most impressed you about this system
0: there's Pretty much there's a big laundry list of things that I'm extremely impressive about both technically and just you know, having dialogues with it. I think for me, what's most impressive is, I think, I know this doesn't sound impressive, but coherence, this is probably the very first, uh, I guess, conversation, a large language model that I played with that really generates coherent dialogue. It might not sound like much, but it's extremely hard. The ability to string together many pieces of information in a coherent, plausible manner to the point where when you're reading, suppose you know nothing about the background facts, right? Like let's let's take uh, facts out of the equation because it spews a lot of misinformation, right? If I knew nothing about the facts and I were to read it, I would say, this sounds like Uh, Not even just like a child talking. It sounds like a educated adult talking back to me.
1: Yes. Right. Yes. This could pass a Turing test in my impression. In my understanding, this would pass a Turing test. Most
0: definitely. I think the only thing is that it actually is a lot more coherent and uh, many people out there. So that (laughs) might throw people off. Like the the way he's able to, it's too human-like. So that might be something that might hmm. A person might not, for example, it it talks in in very it talks very professionally.
1: Yeah, yeah, right.
0: So, like when I'm talking to, let's say, friends, I I even I don't talk that professional, right? So that might throw people off. But in terms of just looking at you know language structure, the way it pieces information together in a coherent sentence or a coherent dialogue, I think it's it's extremely impressive. And I think it's something that I would I wouldn't even
1: have imagined that it's able to do that even a few years back it sounds very authoritative one of the the best um, ways to highlight what we've been talking about uh, I saw someone post uh, an interaction with chat GPT and they said uh, I forget exactly what it was but um, they said what is 19 plus three and it said, 19 plus 3 is 22. And they said, no, it's 21. And it said, oh, I'm sorry, 19 plus 3 is 21. And then they asked it to prove 19 plus 3 equals 21. And it went through a big mathematical proof and said, yes, 21 equals 22. (laughs) (laughs) And
0: that's the danger. It's somebody who's extremely confident in themselves, but will try to tease you like without batting an eye. it will say exactly what you want to hear and be so convincing that you might be convinced that you're correct no matter what it says. For me, that's impressive, but very dangerous. Imagine imagine having a, a yes person around you at all times telling you that you are the best, whatever you say is correct, and that the world's facts back you up. That That's a little scary
1: but the way it can make inferences and, and bring together disparate concepts is also to me is thinking. And some people may say it's not thinking, but this is how we think. I think I I asked it just to, you know, just for fun. I said, is a beehive, anything like a crowded theater? And it, And here's its response. I'll just read it. It's a little bit long because it's very verbose, but it's kind of cool. It gives you an insight into how this thing works. It said, a beehive and a crowded theater are not similar in many ways, but they do share some common characteristics. Both a beehive and a crowded theater are examples of environments that are densely populated by individuals who are engaged in various activities such as socializing, communicating, or performing tasks. In both a beehive and a crowded theater, the individuals who make up the population are closely packed together, which can lead to interactions and interactions between the individuals. For example, in a beehive, the bees are in close proximity to one another and they are constantly communicating and interacting with each other through various forms of signaling, such as pheromones, vibrations, or dances. Similarly, in a crowded theater, the audience members are in close proximity to one another and they are able to communicate and interact with each other through various forms of signaling such as verbal communication, gestures, or facial expressions. Additionally, both a beehive and a crowded theater can be viewed as complex systems in which the behavior of the individuals is determined by their interactions with one another as well as by the external environment. In a beehive, the behavior of the bees is determined by their interactions with other bees as well as the by factors such as the availability of food, the weather, and the presence of predators. Similarly, in a crowded theater, the behavior of the audience members is determined by their interactions with each other, as well as by the factors such as the quality of the performance, the layout of the theater, and the social norms and expectations of the audience. I was blown away by this. It's it's Again, it's incredible how it's able to take
0: all these different facets different concepts and ideas and, again, piece it together in a very coherent way. And, and that's why I said it might not pass the Turing test, because honestly, I don't believe I can provide an explanation that coherent and detailed.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's beyond uh, what some people can do. And I guess there are... Um, and obviously, people are going to try to use this to do their homework for them. <laughs> and I guess there are, are artificial intelligence detectors out there now that that teachers and professors can use to de- to try to detect whether AIs have been used to to generate a, an essay. Uh, I've seen people saying that that's available. I don't know, um, but yeah, it's 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 just amazes me the things that you can. Uh, another community I'm I'm associated with is is Dungeons and Dragons, and a lot of dungeon masters are using this to, to help them create worlds like it'll generate uh, settings and characters and npcs and um, it'll generate all sorts of stuff that usually would take a lot of time so that as an assistant it seems very good you can't I, I've also seen people trying to use this to to actually be the dungeon master in a campaign, and it's just not right there. It doesn't understand the mechanics of the game enough. It doesn't, it can't really implement it. It can tell you a story, which is really cool, um, but it can't actually run a game. So you know, it's it's amazing. And that's where the whole human machine collaboration really comes into
0: play. I mean, just just something to really think about is that do we really need Chat GPT to replace everything we do? Or, or what's what's wrong with a world where ChatGPT or you know AI like that acts as assistance to just help us do better, do things faster, do things more efficiently, do things more consistently, right? I'm a big proponent of that, and I think it's like one of the best ways to use AI.
1: Yeah, accelerate productivity. Um, I could see using it. For example, uh, I've seen people putting transcripts of. I could put a transcript of my podcast into it, and it could provide a bullet point summary for me which is you know great for 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 what i do you know put putting this out onto social media putting this discussion i, I could have it write the introduction to this podcast
0: <laughs> exactly and, and and guess what and when it does you are there for checks and balances if it makes any mistakes anything that you don't think is correct it's just about minor tuning right helps you greatly accelerate your ability to do this task but you're there to make
1: sure that it meets the quality of standards that you require mm-hmm. yeah the, the scary thing is that it's authoritatively wrong sometimes <laughs> and it does sound like an authoritative uh person and if you don't know what it's talking about it's very easy to be misled i guess and that that's kind of the, the drawback and that's and
0: for me that's the biggest danger so for example if if, if not in the past you know if you have something it's like, like talking to a person right if they're they're not confident they're not sure about what they're saying you could tell right? In which case, okay, you know, maybe I'll take this with a grain of salt, or maybe I'll do more fact checks. But imagine somebody just goes and say, like, just wows and impresses you with what seems like a huge amount of knowledge, huge amount of confidence, just really very authoritative. You just have a tendency to believe somebody like that. And, and I think that's the danger uh, with, uh, you know, what language models that actually converses this way in a form that tries to please you, tell you whatever you want to hear, but does it as though that you're right. That's
1: the scary part. Yeah, I think going forward, if you had one wish of people developing these AI systems, what would you ask them to do when they develop these things? Is there a way to to fix these things if they start out with the right mindset?
0: Yeah, I I, I think so. Uh, Again, The researchers who made this start up with the the right mindset, their their whole thing premise is just, can we build something like this, right? And they showed that they, they can. I think one of the next steps is to really put in the right priors and guidelines in the training process, as well as in the data, so that when it's learning, it's learning in a way that's a lot more guided based on, you know. You know, human moral compass, morals and values, as well as other, you know, checks and balances. So, for example, instead of just favoring whatever a person wants, there's a certain things that, you know, this is correct dialogue. This is something that you should do. This is not. So I would say a combination of, for me, proper priors go a long way in helping guide it to learn in a way that's a lot more sensible. I mean, that's one. The other one is just, you know, come up with a new brand new training schemes that allows it to have better context. I think right now there's still a lot of disconnections here and there, and it's just due to limitations of computing power, what can be done right now. But moving forward, I believe that having training schemes that impose this these additional, I guess, context becomes very important. So now you have something that's able to not just be confident, but do it in a way that if they're sure about something, that they'll express it. But if they have hesitations, the zone, feel free to ask. When I said something, I said, you know. You know, can you tell me? Oh, I'm I'm not sure what you mean. Can you explain more? For me, that becomes very important as part, and it actually it makes it more human. If there's something I say that you're not quite sure, you can say, you know, what do you mean by that? Even something simple like that, you know, incorporate in the training process and the data process. I think can go a long way to make it even more human, like even more human, and be even more useful than it is right now.
1: Hmm. This harkens back to me uh, to my science fiction reading of uh, Asimov's uh, Laws of Robotics, um, is, is it possible, uh, first of all, do we, as, as people agree on what these should be, and, and two, is it possible to have, a, a, is there like a, a generic industry agreement of, of what these laws should be, and, and can we have them agreed to be put into future systems? No.
0: So right now, the answer is, I, I think like a Wild West, I guess, analogy, right now, when it comes to regulation principles behind responsible AI, right now, things are still all over the place. There's been huge efforts by, uh, you know, uh, different, you know, Responsible AI Institute uh you know, all sorts of different you know, nonprofits as well as government bodies where they're trying to help come with more unified guidelines and principles for people to follow. But right now, they're still not at the form that I think are sufficient to help guide the industry. So right now, a lot of companies have their own responsible AI principles, but they differ quite a lot. And a lot of times uh, they differ because uh, their mandates are different. Right, so sometimes it's biased towards their own mandates. So having a more unified, standardized, you know, set of principles and rules to go with, just as a guideline on how to build AI, I think it's going to be very valuable, especially when with, there's powerful when powerful large language models like this starts being used uh, ubiquitously across the world.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I I see nothing wrong with with Asimov's rules. I I would say here's a good starting point, everybody. <laughs> Let's use that. (laughs) I think the main thing is that
0: when you have rules and guiding principles like this, they're a great starting point. But one of the things that's lacking that I, I always like talk about this is that they're very qualitative and not quantitative. And so one of the dangers of this is that I could have a rule, but I might twist it a little bit, right? It still meets the definition of that rule, but it's to my favor. Right, or I could say, you know, if I phrase it in a certain way, hey, it, it 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 still kind of falls under this to a certain extent, but now it's really you know in favor of my own you know best interest, so on and so forth. So having things that are more quantitative down the line will be actually very helpful.
1: Hmm. It's very very useful. Um, so I think we're getting to the end of our time slot here. Uh, I appreciate you coming on and chatting with us about ChatGPT. 2
0: It's always great fun.
1: I've learned a lot. I hope the listener has learned as well. Uh, So thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much.
1: If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patron.podbean.com slash the rational Thanks for listening.